0: Welcome to the hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Sean Shapiro. Sean, what's going on, man?
1: Uh, not too much. It's uh, a lot's going on, right? I'm based in the Detroit area. So it's 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 been it's been busy, but uh life's been good. So that's the most important part here, right?
0: Yeah, I was gonna say you I feel like you are busy. There's a lot going on. And we're going Yeah, a
1: lot a lot a lot going on.
0: Not am gonna get into that here today, uh, ending the week in style with my bud talking about. A top story involving a team that you don't technically cover but I think you ostensibly cover them right they're one of the two teams you you focus on certainly with a lot of your coverage along with all the other national stuff you do at the Ringside. side and so we're gonna have some fun with that and then we're going to take some uh some listener questions from the discord mailbag where the listeners have uh have really broadened our horizons and uh and and brought forth some uh some thoughtful stuff that we're gonna get into about game theory and stuff like that so Looking forward to it, but let's start with uh, Patrick Kane going to the Red Wings. Mm -hmm. Here's where I'll start with it. I'm thankful because finally, our long national nightmare of having every insider seemingly staked outside of his house, reporting on what direction he's leaning on based on what he's having for breakfast on a given day, is over. He's picked a team and that's resolved. Now, obviously, we have a lot to talk about in terms of how that's going to fit and what that's going to look like. And I'm sure. The story is far from over, uh, but at least for now, we don't have to hear the same speculation regurgitated every other day, which is what's been happening for what it feels like the past four or five months at least.
1: Yep. Uh, it's every uh, past, since the season started, since this is gone, I mean, this has been an effective uh, masterclass in name and name circulation and rumor mongering and everything just from all the way down to, what, three, four weeks ago, we get a video circulated by his agent of him skating to to drum things up and everything. It's been, uh, it's, we who, who did we talk? We talked last week when you and I were on, we talked, I think we talked about Duchesne and how this kind of was able to fly under the radar because it happened so quick. This was the polar opposite of, it got the extra maturation time to just go above and beyond anything, especially with, especially with the nature of who the player is, the surgery, all that stuff.
0: Yeah, name brand value is a hell of a drug because in reality, we're probably talking about a, at least in terms of production, like a middle six winger here. And that's, I think, a best case scenario based on his health actually holding up and him being able to move properly out there once he starts playing. Um, but yeah, his his agency, CAA, did a phenomenal job here. I think they're the big winners drumming up a market, right? How much did we hear about, oh, this uh, this long list of suitors who are, who are lining up, who are interested in his services. Oh, they're weighing multiple multi-year deals. It's like, oh, okay. Um, I, I'm sure there were teams that did their due diligence in terms of like making the call and potentially have a meeting and kicking the tires, right? Um, but at the same time, I think that part of it was probably wildly overblown, uh, just based on what we heard in terms of how like the fervor involved with with teams involved in these sweepstakes. It feels like it was probably down to a couple, logically, and I imagine most of them were like, "Yeah, we'll take a, a one-year flyer here," but just this the idea that there was yeah. a longer-term market just seems very far-fetched to
1: and, me. And one thing that was kind of out there, and I guess someone could have looked this up and I'm one of those people who could have and I didn't. But I was... Many people kind of were reporting it and there was all this coverage of like, oh, well, he could really fit anywhere because he's 35 plus and he could sign a... uh, And he could sign an incentive-laden deal and you could make it fit. And that wasn't the case. Um, I actually asked Steve Eiserman that yesterday. And Eiserman's like, no, from my understanding, his birthday's too late and his birthday was too late. And uh, so this... There was, he wasn't even eligible for a 35 plus year deal and and that was kind of one of those other things that kept circulating that I think kept every team in the conversation and the rumor mongering because well you could find a way to sign a real low level deal put some bonuses on that could in theory roll over to the future and everything and, and really in the end it's it came down to there's probably only two or three teams that actually could afford him and so we shouldn't really be surprised that he went to one of those two or three teams
0: yeah yeah. so it's one year, two point seven five million. One of the my big uh aches from when the news broke was, and obviously, we've got a resolution since then, but it was to see whether Daniel Sprong would relent his his number eighty. And now obviously he did. And I'm sure he got a nice little reward for that. Um but i I just love the idea of him potentially just waving him off. Right? because there's no bigger yes. rational confidence guy in this league than Daniel Sprung, and I love him for that. <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. if there was anyone capable of being like, no, I got here first, sorry, binders keepers, um, yeah. I would have thought it might be him. So yes. Unfortunately, that wasn't uh, a reality, but still uh, fun to joke about. So Kane is 35, as you mentioned, even though he wasn't eligible for the 35 plus. He's coming off this hip resurfacing surgery. I think everyone by now listening to this is, is familiar with, the list of players who have undergone it and tried to, but failed to come back and, and play meaningful hockey at the NHL level after that. Now, medicine's getting better, certainly, right? Everyone responds differently. I think there's a reasonable argument to be made that the last time we saw Patrick Kane playing, he was already so hampered physically by his inability to move properly. And it's not like he's working from a place where he was healthy the last time we saw him, and then now that's up for that. that that's even riskier, and more precarious, right? Like I, I think it's reasonable to believe that at least out of the gate he could actually have improved mobility, and and that could help him. Um, so I'm willing to take a, a glass half full view there. Let's take that then. What's the what's the fit like here in terms of landing spot, in terms of need, in terms of how they're going to use him, what this is going to look like? I think we can we can expand on that a bit beyond sort of the, the obvious narrative. Of, oh, he's had success with, with Alex Brinket before. I, I, everyone gets that. Let, let's, let's talk about actually a bit mm-hmm. deeper beyond like what that's going to look like on the ice of fit.
1: Yeah. It, I mean, that's, it is the, it is the reality that I think at some point we will see Br- Brinkett and Kane. Um It's, the question really becomes, and right now, obviously, it's kind of interesting talking about this because Dylan Larkin didn't play last night, and we saw how much Detroit missed Dylan Larkin last night against the Rangers, and likely tonight against and likely against Chicago too. But it's kind of it's going to be interesting to see who, which pairing of that of those three, right? Will they keep DeBrink? Will it will it be? Because right now, it's been Larkin and, and Raymond together early in the season. DeBrinkin and Larkin had kind of the feeling you get from all of this is they're gonna try to set something up where it's gonna be a pairing of it could it could be it could be De and Kane. That could be their in theory the second line they build off of it. and that's where you all of a sudden have an Andrew cop or your JT Comfort centering that line. And then or, or it could be maybe Larkin ends up fitting with maybe it ends up being Kane and Larkin that fit together once they try it. Or it could be Raymond and Kane. I think you're basically going to get to this point where Detroit eventually gets to the spot where okay, we have two Top two lines where we build our offense through this tandem, this duo. And I think that's kind of where it goes in the long run. Um it's it's easy to it's easy to because of the past success to talk about DeBrinket Kane and Iserman even talked about it yesterday. Um and but I could easily see Law, well, I could easily see it being Raymond Kane, or it could be so it, it's it's gonna shake out one of those two ways. Um and I know I know we like we don't want to overly play the DeBrinket thing, but it is going to be something that the team is going to lean into to start at least.
0: So are are you viewing it through the lens of like pairings then, in terms of duos as opposed to the conventional trio like line configuration? Because I was thinking, all right, yeah. if you're playing him yeah. with Larkin yeah. DeBrinket on a top line, well, then all of a sudden yeah. that totally changes things for for a lucas raymond and i know that you wrote about how he, like yeah. he, you know his attention to detail and play off of the puck this season and how he's still like when i did a larkin deep dive with joe belfry a couple of weeks ago we had a little section in there, so a few nuggets on raymond and we were talking about how for a young player who's used to being the centerpiece and the person everything flows through when you come into the league here and all of a sudden that's not a good reality for you there's an adjustment period of like figuring out how to contribute, how to get puck touches, how to make that all work, right? And while the Brinkett and Larkin in particular are so puck dominant in terms of like carrying the puck and and having play flow through them, at least with them on the ice, you actually are going to have the puck, right? Like you're going to be playing in advantageous offensive situations. All of a sudden, if you bump further down the lineup and you're playing with other players, they might not be as puck dominant, but also you just might have more time where you're spending chasing the puck and you're not actually playing with it and getting to do skill stuff. And so all of a sudden, for a young player like Lucas Raymond, that like the trickle down effect of this is almost as interesting to me as the actual like pain yeah. piece itself. It's like what happens sort of to everyone else down the line.
1: Yeah. And it's like I wrote about him the other day, as you mentioned, and R- Raymond is been kind of building off his defensive end more this year and he's been doing a really he's been doing a really nice job with it too and I it's kind of one of those where it's the don't get overly infatuated with Patrick Kane's history and that's kind of the spot where there, there, there's two kind of things where I look at this, like potential downfalls of this Kane internally, right? Not, not saying locker room, like, oh, guys angry at each other, just the role thing, where you can't let Patrick Kane come in and become more important, quote unquote, than Lucas Raymond. You need to continue building Lucas Raymond. You need to continue to let him to that spot. To me, Raymond should still be that, quote unquote, top line guy. I really like him with Larkin. Personally, I, I would, I would kind of stick with that. Um, the other one is the guy who we talked about who gave his dubber up is Daniel Sprong because at some point somebody is going to have to come out of this lineup and somebody is going to lose a spot on the power play and without a power play role, all of a sudden you have another guy who I'd like, I had a scout the other day mentioned to me, like he was a little worried about Daniel Sprong's mental approach towards this when he all of a sudden becomes the odd man out. Um, to answer your question, and I'm not really answering it, so I'm that's sorry. a lot of filibustering. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of filibustering. I like the idea, I think, in Detroit. I know um, Dirk Lalland has talked about it before of kind of building off pairs, and that's kind of where my idea comes from that, where I don't think this... Be- I think they look at their team as kind of one that's a little bit more interchangeable in many ways, and with how often this team likes to play eleven-seven, 7 it kind of became a little bit of a natural thing that's happened with this, where... Centers kind of became a little bit more like cop and comp, uh, GT comp for an injured cop. Basically, they've kind of built where they can kind of slot them into any spot and it, whether it's it for right or wrong. And then they've kind of done when when Larkin's healthy, they've played or tried to do that with Valeno here and there. Um, so that's where my ideology on okay, you're building these pairs and then who the other guy is, not that it doesn't matter, but it's more so the consistency is with those. Too, and that's kind of the way I get the feeling I get from where Lalonde's going with this.
0: Well, there's Raymond, there's Sprong. I think there's even a further down the depth chart situation brewing where, and I imagine part like this has been a bit of the frustration over the past couple of years with this team's approach where, like on the one hand, you've had so much draft capital, right? And you're accumulating all of these lottery tickets and young players that you're trying to develop as you're rebuilding. And then you're going out and signing players two long-term deals. Now, obviously, Kane here is just a one-year deal for the rest of this, this year, so it doesn't necessarily yep. apply in that sense. But just for this season in particular, you're adding a bunch of veterans who are taking up valuable reps and lineup spots, especially higher up in the lineup in scoring situations, right? And so, take a guy like Jonathan Bergen, for example, who we saw enter the lineup most recently. Like He's going to be 24 this summer. You know what I mean? Like He hasn't yeah. been in North America yeah. for that long, but When he has, we've seen him. He's like a point of game player in the AHL. He's reaching peak physical years. I like his game. I want to see him play and see if there's something more there. And that's not going to happen by having him play in his AHL through his mid twenties. The way this organization used to during their heyday, right? Like during that playoff streak when you'd have guys like Nyquist and Tatar playing in Grand Rapids into their into their mid twenties. It's one thing when your team is that good, and it's like, all right, this is just the reality of situation this is a spot where you think, all right, this is the perfect opportunity for us to play some of these guys. And, and now you look at the depth chart and you look at the number of names involved in players who have to get dressed and, and play. It's really tough to find spots for those guys. And, and that can be a little frustrating, I'm sure, both for the players, but also for fans.
1: Yeah. And I, I do wonder with the Kane thing. Um, and it's it's definitely, I mean, the biggest one is on defense right now. We've talked about the Red Wings defense before and how Simon Edvinson is blocked from being able to play in the NHL right now because of Detroit's depth, in air quotes, as you and I have talked about before on this show. Um, the thing I think about, about this Kane move that will be interesting to me is I wonder if it eventually becomes a spot where we'll see he's coming off this this major hip surgery we don't know how he's going to respond all that stuff you also have a guy in Robbie Fabry who can't stay healthy and I wonder how much as the season progresses with what Fabry does versus what Kane does I just wonder how much those two almost become if it becomes whether by design or or it naturally happens they almost become like the outfield the hockey's equivalent of the outfield platoon where it's like Yeah, like I I just wonder if you have something like that. But it's, like, Bergeron should be playing in the NHL right now. You, the fact, in by signing Kane, Detroit also made it very difficult to, like, there there are teams who have overloaded on veterans before but have kept the waiver-exempt guys available or whatever to make it happen. Detroit doesn't have that. Um, The only guys on their roster who are eligible to go down without waivers are Lucas Raymond and Mo Sider. Clearly those two aren't going down. So it's not even like you could make, it's not even Detroit. And I asked Iserman about it the other day because right now Detroit's carrying the three goalies. They got 20, they got, they got 23 right now. So you in theory could find a way to do this if you weren't carrying three goalies. If you just had, if you just had 20, if you had two goalies, you'd be like, okay, we can make this work and we could call Berger up and down and make it work with the three goalies. You basically, every move now has to be a 24 hour, a 24 hour only injury based decision. And the Red Wings boxed themselves into this with how they went and signed veteran guys, older guys, and essentially decided that, okay, we're going to, for better or worse, let this future core that's going to be behind Raymond and Sider and everything like that, we're going to bet that they figure it out in the AHL this year and just hope that they all arrive perfectly ready when that's 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 risky cuz I'd like to see it in the NHL. Yeah, the Red Wings are an interesting team
0: sort of to talk about statistically and stylistically so far this season, right? Because on the one hand, they've had a lot of these blow-up spots where especially earlier in the year they're scoring a ton of goals, right? And so you look and I think they're fifth in the league in scoring, uh they're third in 5 on 5 scoring, they're top 10 on the power play. And so you look at it and it's like, all right, on paper that's not a weakness for this team. Like, they're scoring plenty. It's weird to add a player who's so offense-only in this case as a one-dimensional player like Kane. At the same time, though, the power play, which started really hot, is down to like 24th or something in the month of November, right? It's really regressed since that early uh, boon. And at 5-1-5, a lot of it seems to be shooting percentage-driven, right? Where I think they do lead the league in 5-1-5 shooting percentage as a team. They're not actually generating yeah. a ton of high volume, high danger chances to to go along with that. And so if that dries up, I actually do think that they could use more juice in terms of creativity and offensive playmaking on this team despite how many goals they've scored so far, right? So I, I like yes. it from that perspective where it's, it's it seems weird because you pull up all the leaderboards for sorting by teams and it's like this team's fine offensively, but you take a you kind of peel back a few layers and they probably actually could use more of that particular skill set and and even at this stage of his career, yeah. if, if he's struggling to move around just because of his vision and his pass, passing and his ability to stretch out the offensive zone with that, like that will be a handy skill set depending on how they use him, right? So I kind of wanted to make yeah. that point and, and highlight that because I've seen a lot of commentary on it saying like, oh, this team's already fine offensively. This isn't the player they need. But sport like, logics. Data actually paints an entirely different picture than a lot of the public metrics where if you, especially if you sort by like inner slot shots and stuff like that. Offensively, they're really struggling at that. They're 25th in the league. And then defensively, they're actually much better. And And the results haven't indicated that, but the underlying process suggests that this probably is a skill set that you could use more of.
1: Oh, they admit it. They readily admit it as both internally and externally. I mean, it's funny, like a week ago, Derek Colon talked about how the team, the Red Wings have to shoot well. They have to turn defense into offense because in his words in his words, we don't have the special players that allow us to just have those those moments that rescue you later in the game. And it's they, the Red Wings know that. That's that's something that's not that's not news internally to to Detroit. Um they have where they are is part of the reason is they, they're shooting pretty well, as you said. And they're also they're making do where we can talk about what their defenseman depth does, but their forwards actually have been pretty good defensively this year in the way that they've they that they that they've helped cover some of the other things and that's kind of what the identity more of Detroit is right now. They're kind of that they're they're coming along in that we're hard to play when you get the Larkin line on the ice, there's some excitement, but really the rest of the lineup is really more of I right, it's Territorial war, where we're 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 winning kind of the ice time battle and the position over there. But you're not really expecting, unless it's the power play, you're not really expecting much from David Perron. You're not really expecting Christian Fisher and Joe Valeno to 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 really do much offensively. It's more of okay, they're keeping the puck away from our net more so than they're actually dynamically making the other team sweat. That's that's really what this team is, and. That, you're right. That's what Kane adds. Kane all of a sudden, you're like, okay, this team could score when they have the puck in the offensive zone. I would actually expect it. Like That's not something you expect with most of Detroit's lines right now.
0: Yes, and also just, yeah, that's a good point you made there about the the construction of the forward group and how, for whatever your feelings are, the mileage you get out of the defensemen they have, the forwards have, have really done well in that regard in terms of... And I think that's by design, and that's the way as we saw them play last year, I think that's what Derek Law would prefer as a coach. Um, yeah, yes. And so having someone who can kind of create easier opportunities and if there is some sort of regression, potentially mitigate that by still driving efficiency through that playmaking, like that would be very valuable to this team. And I, I, just, I just, I really do think it's this interesting dichotomy where they've profiled as such an offensive team because of the outputs in the scoring, but then... All yeah. the other underlying stuff, especially by the private models, just paints an entirely different picture. So I think mean, the most likely outcome here is like assuming health, we get a a year where gain scores just enough in a flashy enough manner where he's gonna still going to post like 44% shares at 515 the way he has recently. Like even, you know, there was a lot of talk last mm-hmm. year about, all right, well, this is about Blackhawks team is tanking. They're terrible. That's what's driving it. And then he goes to the Rangers and the raw vol- the raw numbers improved a little bit. But when you actually account for team quality and context, he was kind of the same player, just in a different environment. So I'm not expecting an improvement there, uh, even on this Red Wings team as they are defensively. But um, it's going to be just enough where regardless of how the rest of the season plays out, it's probably going to fuel another round of the same conversation next offseason. So uh, we are just living in well, it, it, time is a flat circle and yep. we're living in an endless league.
1: Well, and also too, with what this Detroit team is, he doesn't have to be, what was it? Was it two years ago? He had like the 92 point season or whatever, right? Like he doesn't have to score at that pace for this to be an offensive success for Detroit. Like if he just has the numbers he had last year in Chicago, which were career basically lows as far as efficiency for him, that's still going to improve Detroit offensively when you look at the counting numbers and things along those lines. And so it's going to keep us in this cycle, as you said, of, okay. and I I wonder, I also wonder when the thing, and it's, of course, this is the type of thing that everyone will dance around. We hear the stories, oh, he had multi-year deals on the table and multi-year deals on the table. Maybe from Patrick Kane's long-term perspective, he comes out and he shows he's healthy and plays this year. He's going to make more money in the long run by taking the one-term, the one-year deal this year with Detroit. I think that's something that has also hasn't been really covered well enough as far as what can, what, what's the benefit to Kane of the one-year deal of this? Certainly, because that's a big. That's somebody will give him. It's a big if, but it's when you, if you have, if you're a professional athlete, you have an ego and you believe in yourself, and that's it can be a driving force. No, I get it. You know, this this cynical uh, side of
0: me in thinking about this and and kind of the fallout of it. We were talking about Raymond earlier and he is a player who's in a very high leverage point of his career contractually himself, right? Uh, His ELC (laughs) is expiring. He's up for a new deal. I'm very fascinated to see what that looks like. And obviously we know that while I'm sure the organization values him greatly, right? And he's clearly part of their long-term plans. We know that leverage in terms of contract demands and how much money you can make is still largely driven even as teams get smarter and as we learn more about what matters in hockey by counting stats right it's like how many goals how many points you have that's how much you can ask and so (laughs) even if they take a long-term view for them it's like just cynically potentially bumping them off the top line and having them play that more defensive role and iron out other parts of his game and chip in in ways that don't get you paid as much is like is, a, is not the worst thing now yeah. since he's such a long part of their plan I I highly I'm you know it's kind of facetious like it's not they're not actually being like alright we're gonna we're gonna risk this long term relationship to, to make it work this year and potentially save a few dollars like obviously I think they would love it if if Lucas Raymond scores a goal every night and produces at a sky high rate and then gets paid accordingly um, but it will be interesting to see sort of what impact that has on whatever his next contract looks like
1: Oh yeah, they will. Because there there are whether it's happens directly or not, King will take opportunities from Raymond at some point. That's that's going to happen. Yeah. It's the reality.
0: Okay. Any other uh nuggets or tidbits or things that you're hearing from, from being on scene or talking to people um that you think is relevant to the conversation before we go to break?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. The one thing that will be kind of interesting to see how this all plays out and talking to people around detroit and everything is where does uh like mentality wise and kane quote-unquote wants to win and all that stuff he's staying all the right things like where um This team we've talked about, and we kind of mentioned this already, but I just want to focus on this a little more. We talked so much about how Derek Lalonde has kind of intentionally built a forward group where they all work hard. They all turn defense into offense, to use the coach's cliche and everything like that. And Lalonde is willing to give a little bit of leash to DeBrickett. He's willing to give a little bit of leash to Lucas Raymond. Obviously, you're going to have to give Kane uh, some leash as well. When you move, as it trickles down into the lineup, I'm interested to see kind of how this impacts the mentality across the group, where on the fourth line is all of a sudden, if you have Daniel Sprung on the fourth line, and we talked about a guy who is very um, proud of his work and everything like that. Daniel, Daniel Sprung, Sprung his going is
0: always playing on the first line. I don't care about yes. your, your, your your inconvenient <laughs> facts, like ice time and deployment and all yes. of that. If Daniel Sprung is on the ice, yeah. that is
1: the first line. Yeah. But it's, it's, yes. So as far as the Red Wings, and I'm not, I don't think this is like one of those, oh, this blows it up. It's a blocker room cancer. I don't think it's that, but it is going to affect the dichotomy of how the forward group plays in whole because as you start taking, it's, uh, it's a, it's the line from, uh, uh, from the movie, uh, the great philosopher uh, in, in the movie The Incredibles, the bad guy in the movie The Incredibles, when everyone's special, no one is. And so if all of a sudden you start getting everyone and you start making it, it's not just one or two guys that get the longer lesion everyone has. Then all of a sudden you start to lose that structure and it just becomes, just becomes Andrew Kopp and J.T. Comfort for frustratingly covering for everybody. Like, I, I'm interested to see how this all plays out just schematically and watching once Kane comes into the lineup.
0: Mm. All right. Well, we'll syndrome.
1: Of- syndrome. Syndrome was the bad guy from
0: Incredibles. That's right. <laughs> what a reference. Yesterday we had, or a couple days ago, we had a Dragon Ball Z <laughs> reference with uh, with Kevin Woodley, and now we've got the Incredibles. All right, uh, Sean. Let's take our break here, and then when we come back, we'll uh, we'll pick the conversation back up. We'll go through some of those listener questions that I alluded to, and plenty more fun stuff. You are listening to the Hockey cast streaming on a Sportsnet Radio Network. <laughs> We're back here on the Hockey PDO Cast with Sean Shapiro. Sean, we did the Red Wings off the top and the fallout from uh, from them signing Patrick Kane. Let's let's have some fun here to end the week. We got a couple of listener questions, some kind of outside the box uh, ideas that you would expect from listeners of this show. So looking forward to to kind of parsing through it with you. So we got a bunch. Actually, multiple people asked kind of the same question. Uh, which is funny because it's a it's a it's one i really enjoyed and uh and one that i think you're uniquely positioned to answer here with an interesting uh, vantage point of it so the question goes offsides reviews seem to have basically been solved at this point as the goal is nearly always taken away now when it's challenged with that being said would there be a way to sort of quote unquote free roll this and cheat by sending a player or two out of the d zone to cherry pick if and when Entries confirmed offside by whoever is in charge of monitoring all these entries for the team live. Or is hockey just too fast and chaotic to implement some system video team signaling to the coaches and the coaches signaling to the players on the ice that any pending goal against will not count because the entry was offside? So they should take some chances. Now, personally, as someone who sits on my couch every Sunday and spends the full day watching football and training for <laughs> my fantasy teams, I love when the quarterback gets the other team to jump and earns them a free play and then just stands back there and throws it 60 yards downfield and either it's a touchdown or a long play or it's intercepted and it doesn't matter because they get the five yards and it doesn't count anyways. So that is essentially the equivalent of this. Now this happens much more quickly, certainly, and there's many more factors and variables involved. But one thing the listener is dead on about here is we have gotten to the point where I remember the first couple of years it was. It wasn't necessarily fifty fifty, but it felt like it was much more upward debate. Now that's still the case with goalie interference reviews, where I'm sure teams are getting better at it. But honestly, watching it live, I it seems like a coin flip to me. I still don't know what goalie interference is or what they're going to count or not on a given night. <laughs> In this case, though, you're seeing it more often where a goal happens. You see the camera pans to the coach. They're looking down at that screen that they have uh, below them on the bench. And they call the official over and, you know, all right, this is this goal is not going to count because they're challenging for offside and we're getting to like 99.8% accuracy in terms of if they have identified something, it will have been offside. So how do you feel about this, the validity of it, the possibility of it, and sort of whether this is something that could eventually come into play um, as we get even more confident with the with them getting it right here.
1: So it's it's possible because so I actually so I I wrote about uh a couple of years back um would have been the year of uh it would have been the la- it would have been right before the year the 2019 no sorry 2018-19 season I actually sat in the Stars uh video room for for a game with their video coach kelly forbes and kelly was actually the stars video coach for 14 years and uh, left the stars after this past season to basically step into being more of a moving away from the hockey lifestyle so he could be more of a dad and everything like that um and i've talked to kelly quite a bit about video reviews there's times where uh um which was the remember the colorado one in the playoffs uh where was the- oh, The Cal McCarr against Edmonton where he was- Yeah, outside. the Kale yeah, McCarr, yeah, yeah.
0: They ruled illegal yeah. because Cal, he had possession yeah, or whatever, yeah. yeah.
1: Exactly, yeah. And so um having seen, been inside an NHL video room myself and having talked to a video coach about this, this is possible because basically, and this is how the Stars did, and I don't know how every team did it, but from my experiences, you wouldn't, there would be no other way not to do this. Basically in Dallas, there's a zone entry and every single zone, off every single zone entry, the video room is reviewing it right away in the moment, and they are then on the headset to the uh, to the assistant coach, to one of the assistant coaches who's got the other earpiece, basically saying, "Hey, that's good or that's not." So that they have that information probably within five, six seconds of a zone entry. So you, in theory, could do this. Now, the the problem is kind of the the application of it. So you take that five to six seconds of getting it in there. And then this is kind of one of those where you're probably already getting per hockey to now you have to, how do you, how do you signal this to, this is, I guess the same thing we could figure out right here on the air. How do you well, signal this to the,
0: yeah. <laughs> this is the game within the game because here's what would happen. Yeah. 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 You you don't disguise your intentions. So the first time you do it, it could be something very obvious. Another team will probably be like, why is yeah, the yeah. coach just yelling right now? Like this is weird, but yeah. your team knows yeah. what happens. And then after you pull it off, after the game, the opposing team and other teams around the league are going to be like, "All right, that was weird." So this is their signal apparently for when they're doing this. Mm-hmm. Then next time, on a close one, maybe you don't. You're not even sure that it's offside, but you just do it anyway. You still go. And then all, all of a sudden, yeah. Yeah. now if you're the other team. Yeah every action you know has a reaction right like all yeah. of a sudden players are just flying the zone for no reason while the puck's up against the boards you're probably i think it's human nature you're probably gonna compensate for that by being less aggressive offensively yourself i don't know if you're necessarily gonna have players leaving the zone to go track players in the neutral zone while you still have the puck but you're gonna be more aware of it right i think you're gonna be less focused on what's happening yeah. Yeah. offensively than you would otherwise but, like i think there's there's the game within the game here is just it's
1: unbelievable And and let, let's, let's counter that a little bit further. So we know one both teams have a video guy doing this at the same time. So what right. both teams are, are getting... It's not like just your team is getting the message. Um, and so we assume that these are the, the best video coaches in the world. It's the best league in the world, yada, yada, yada. So all of a sudden it becomes... What if happens if you... What about the flip side of it? Where you have a team go in off sides and all of a sudden you see the other team fly in the zone and all of a sudden you're like, okay, hey, quick regroup and you try to sting them back. Like this is the all oh, this is the this is the this is the this is the game and the game I really want to see now where it's basically your trust you've got now video coaches having way more power than ever before, but it's uh I've always wondered why that didn't happen sometimes before too where a team would be offsides and they continued to play and why maybe why didn't the bench signal, "Hey guys, we we should probably regroup. Like well, this would be the time. Ta- this would be the time for one of those three on three overtime style drop passes in regroup. It wouldn't it wouldn't be bad right now because once you exit the zone, that off that that prior entry no longer matters. I you're sending me down a, a quite the wormhole now. This was well, a great question. I it was a great yeah, question. And this is why yeah, I wanted yeah, to yeah. use it
0: and pitch you on it. I think yeah. there was probably a time where yeah. the accuracy was was lower. So you're like, all right, well, there's yeah, a 75% yeah. chance this gets called off, but there's a 25% not, so let's just go for it. Um, now, we're probably giving teams too much credit. I think in reality, they're just freewheeling it and not actually giving us that much thought and not considering any of this stuff, huh. right? We're probably getting too in the weeds here, but I love it. I, anything that involves sort of that chess match element of like tactics and, all right, you do something different, so all of a sudden it's going to force your opponent to do something, and then that opens a counter of your own, mm-hmm. and you go back and forth in that regard. Like, this is exactly what we're talking about. I think, though, there is something to just this entire conversation of reviews, right? I'm watching Ducks Oilers on Sunday night, I believe, last weekend, and the first period is hilarious. There are just so many goals back and forth, both teams. It's very open-ended and sloppy, and it feels like neither goalie can see the puck, and it's like, all right, this is for the last game of the week, Sunday night. I just watch football all day, and I'm watching this. I'm loving this. Like, I want to see more of this and then there's a review to see whether the puck crossed the goal line and they just stopped the play for like 12 minutes in real time well I don't know how long it was but it, it was it was yeah, 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 yeah. drawn out process and then you're just seeing replays of it over and over again the broadcast teams having a filibuster and fill time they keep showing Matthias Ekholm sitting on the bench stroking his beard it's like can we just play the game like I if it takes you yeah. longer than a yeah. minute to figure this out then you know what we just have to keep going. I, I get that you want to yeah. get all the calls right, especially in important games. You don't want someone to to you know lose because they got the short end of the stick here. But the reality of it is, this is an entertainment product. The best part of hockey is how fast and action packed and free flowing it is. So stopping it to dissect tape and Zapruder style film like on an iPad, looking at this greeny footage and going back and forth and then trying to piece together angles because you don't have a clear one because all of them were blocked by by something or a goalie's pads. Like we need to, we need to iron this out, particularly with, I know there's a lot of pushback to the pucks feeling different with the chips and all of them and stuff before, but like the goal line technology of trying to figure out with parallax, whether the puck actually was over the line and trying to piece together different composite images and all this stuff. Like, it's just so ridiculous. Like we're approaching 2024 here. I feel Mm -hmm. like there has to be a better way.
1: There has to be a better way. It's,
0: it's, it's it's called goal line
1: technology. Yes. It's called goal line technology. And the other thing we want to just be careful of, and it comes down to, uh, playing with offsides and everything like that. Um, now we have video replay in soccer and, too many times you talk about like playing the game and everything like that and teams will offside trap in soccer and i don't want that equivalent in hockey where all of a sudden we've got guys basically instead of playing the game are trying to play to a rule and raising their arm to try to get the officials attention or something like that like there's a there's there's a path where we've seen it in another sport that i really don't want to go down on this and it's like the 12 minute like you, you mentioned that Ducks Oilers came, right? That 12 minute review or whatever it was, that was just, that sucked, dude. Like, all right, well, I'm going to,
0: what it am I going to go against do against everything like, that I, makes hockey yeah, a fun yeah. product. Like, it's like we need to steer away from that. I guess. So you're okay. So you, you made the point of for all these offside reviews, right? Within seconds of the zone entry, both teams already know what happened, right? Because they have someone watching yes. for it, marking it, then yes. quickly checking it out. And then making the decision yeah. on it, yes. So why is there a review process? Like, why are we? I understand the you're not going to catch everything in real time, and there's going to be a challenge. Yeah. But if we're so invested in making sure we get the call right, shouldn't this be something that is just phoned down from the league immediately? It should be like I mean, like if, night they night have, night if they have if they have someone night. watching yeah. it, like the teams do, yeah. Then we yeah. know within seconds whether it was offside or not. So the play should if it was offside the play should be blown dead yeah, because we're all yeah. wasting time here and someone could get hurt on a play that didn't actually even officially happen by the record books if it winds up right being called back and so what are we all doing here like i feel like there should be a more sort of like the chain of command or line of communication here should be more crystal clear so that we're expediting this process and not wasting time doing what yeah. we're doing I mean- right
1: now I mean, instant replay has basically it's gone from a "let's fix the sport" to "let's slow some slow down something that really shouldn't be slowed down." And this isn't just hockey; this is this is this is football. This this is I, I have this view of, of of multiple sports. Sports are supposed to be fast and exciting. That's that's what it's supposed to be, and the fact that with technology now we can learn more by freeze framing and things like that. It also makes it it also takes away from what's happening in the game in real time. Like it, it's one of the funny things where um it's funny we were talking about Lucas Raymond before and I was talking to I was talking to Lucas Raymond last week about um one when, when he was dealing with injury last year and watching the game from up top and he's like and he said to me, he's like I get it. I get why you guys sometimes say we should have done this when we done that because like I would sit up in the press box. He's like, when I was in the press box, the injury, I'd be like, oh, that guy's wide open over there. Why is no one passing to him? And he's like, he's like, it's really easy to watch from up top and freeze frame it. And we, we kind of take away from how impressive everything's happening when all of a sudden we're like, ah, let's freeze this we, know, we now know because everyone's moving twenty two miles an hour or whatever it is because of NHL Edge or whatever. We now know that like let's slow this down. It's it. We're, we've hit a rant button for me for this. So
0: no, but I just know like like the whole point yeah. of this is yeah eliminating human error as much as possible, right? Making sure you get the call right. But we have technology to do it in a quicker, more efficient fashion than we do right oh, now, yes. and we're like, hundred, right, hundred, yeah, we might have gotten this wrong. But we're not gonna revisit it unless there's a goal and unless the other team challenges. And if they don't challenge, or if they're out of challenges, well, tough luck for them. And it's like I, I thought the whole point of this was to was to make sure you got the call right. Yeah, you only want to do it selectively. Like, I just don't really understand um,
1: why well, it's the case. If, if the point was if the if the point was only to get the call right, there would not be a punishment for the team getting it wrong. Like truthfully, if, if, if well, that, it's just to stop
0: people answer. from like wasting time, right. And being like, all right, I want no, no, to no, no, but, but that, leader, so
1: it's, well, it's no, exactly. But that's where I'm going. If the, if we could, if we were just having things ruled correctly, we would not even be at a spot where I can get my guys a breather. It would just be, okay, well, Hey, red light, green light. It was offsides, onside. That's it. That that's all you would need. You wouldn't, it wouldn't be, here's a six minute review to, 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 like, I get when we have the six-minute review fine, okay, yes, penalize the team that put us in that position by getting it wrong, because they should have gotten it right. No, but,
0: like, when a guy shoots the puck, and it's so fast that it, like, hits the the back bar and comes out, and the official might have missed it and thought it just hit the crossbar of the post, the play goes on for another, whatever, 10, 15, 30 seconds, sometimes a minute, depending on it, and yep. then they stop the play, right? Like, yes. they, like the goal horn goes yep. off, they blow the play tank, yes, game, yes. yes yeah, it's a yeah, goal. yeah. That feels like that should be the case for offsides. Then, like if you have someone watching it in real time and you want to get it right, I don't know. That's, anyways. Yeah, um,
1: and it, we... it's, it's a great it's a great idea until the first time there's a team that takes it. There's until there's a until there's an offside on one end because there's an offside on one, end and then it goes right down. And the other team scores on a break. All of a sudden, it becomes the team's like, "Well, we were offsides there, so it should have been blow dead on us. So we never would have committed that turnover that led the other way."
0: Oh man. Okay. <laughs> I got a quest- couple of questions here that are sort of like game theory based um okay. regarding okay. player impacts and expected goals and I think this is a topic that I'm really interested in right now. I had Kevin Woodley on as I mentioned earlier this week and we were talking about how oh. you know so much focus has been placed on the offensive side of things through that lens of like teams are trying to create certain types of shots and get into high danger areas and it feels like one of the first conversations we actually had about this you and i was back when you were still covering the dallas stars during that run to the stanley cup final right in the bubble where this became a big point of conversation for people where it's like oh like if you look at their shot attempt share and everything it's not that good mm-hmm. but then you look at how they're dominating high danger they're clearly have a purpose here and they were one of the teams that really sort of executed that game plan, right? Yep. So then I was talking with Woodley about how from a goalie's perspective, that totally changes your workload, right? In, in theory, you're getting fewer shots. They're going to be more concentrated in dangerous areas. It's going to be much more difficult. And so there's this cat and mouse game in that regard. So the question here was from Cookies who asks, with expected goal rates rising faster than actual goals, People have been theorizing that teams might be shifting towards prioritizing shots which have high expected goal values, which we just mentioned, possibly gaming the system. Assuming this is true, are high expected goal shots the best way to generate an offense? Distance is the main factor in expected goals, and I think it's probably safe to assume the closer the shot, the better. But has the pendulum swung too far, and is there now too much importance being placed on expected goals?
1: Um. I, I I don't think there's too much importance being placed on expected goals. I think expected goals is kind of a weird thing because I think a lot of people who discuss it and talk about it don't actually know what it goes into it. Like I, I think just too often in the media coverage of it, it becomes people talk about expected goals and, and everything like that, and too often the person discussing it or writing about it isn't actually sure of the proper application of it. Um, and I think that's one of the other one of the issues where expected goals are are not well defined by the people covering it. Not that they're not well defined by the metrics. The other thing that is like to answer, to look at Cookie's question here, and I'm trying to make sure I get this right, is um, there's too often, I think sometimes it leads to, it can, if you think about only, we only want high XG shots, high XG shots. You sometimes, all of a sudden, that's that's all a team the F Tough sometimes have to take what's given to you. Like the Carolina Hurricanes still yes. take what's given to you, right? There's a lot of and Carolina Hurricanes are still pretty damn good hockey team.
0: Some are they could 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 be better maybe, but
1: they could they could be better. Yes, they yes. could be better. But like but so I still I think it does go to the kind of that philosophy of if you're given the if you're given a quote unquote low danger shot, but it's from a an elite player, you should still take that shot. Like that's can still go into that. I mean I think for
0: the most part, I'm sure there's still uh some stragglers in hockey at various levels that are stuck in the old ways and just are like, oh, this is all mumbo jumbo. I think most coaches right now, despite what they'll say about Buckley, are aware and agree intuitively with the idea that to create offense you want to get to a few specific places and that's gonna yes. be sustainable yes. right like i don't think mm-hmm. the hurricanes have. we could do a whole show on this but like part of theirs is just the volume and the repetition and all that but like if they had the talent to sustainably get into these high danger areas beyond like a few of their top players they probably would but those players are very expensive generally and tough to get so what they've done is a very cost-effective approach in this market efficiency at getting players who can play this other way, which is a lot cheaper, right? And it ties back to that Lucas Raymond conversation we had of what gets yeah. paid in, in today's game. So yeah. I think most teams want to do it. So they are all aware of the answer. Just some of them don't have the solutions. And so I do think this is an interesting thought exercise from the perspective of like, defensively, every team has a game plan as well and they know where you want to go. And so if they're sort of sitting on that or overplaying it, that should theoretically create other opportunities to attack. Now everything is so centralized with like the one target of the goal and there's a goalie in front of the net, right? So it's a bit easier to kind of defend in that in that case um, or to keep people on the outside. But for the most part, I would think that, yeah, the, the, the logical conclusion would be, all right, if the other team is aggressively playing you for one thing, which is where they think they want to go, Then there should be another way that might be more efficient, even though it runs a bit counter to what our like initial expectations are. So, I don't know. It's it's interesting, but yeah, I mean, this is like the cat mouse game of offense versus defense, right?
1: Yeah, and and like we expected, so many expected goals models look at more so look at location and, and everything like that, and just it's whether if I could give you a shot, if I could give you a shot six feet and if you give me a shot six feet from the net i'm just picking a random number out but it's a guy coming in clean stationary i will take that over the cross ice the cross ice pass to a guy from 35 feet just because an nhl goalie should stop that shot that is that is just the reality and um i think that's kind of I think that's that's another kind of thing defensively. This is just me having watched a couple of games last night and and, and watching games. I, I see sometimes now too where teams kind of defend that and this would be a great question for Belfry next time you have him on or next next time next time I talk to ex a coach about it. It seems from my amateur eye on this, teams seem are more committed to taking away that slot pass right now. And so, okay, that's gonna give more guys who may be average shooters, okay, you can take the shot from six feet. That's a higher expected goal because they're not, because they're closer, but they're not making that, they're not attempting that pass across because they're basically be given that shot. It's I don't know. That's that's just an observation that I'm pulling out of my head right now, just thinking, and I'd actually like to talk to someone a little more in depth about it. And uh, now, of course, I'm saying it's on air and again, probably going to sound stupid, but fine.
0: <laughs> well, I don't think this is happening <laughs> on a team level on the inside because I think everyone is still yeah. so results oriented in the NHL that that's all that really matters it's like what your most recent outcome was I think as fans maybe yes. though in terms of the conversation like part of why we care about expected goals is because of the predictive nature of the process right where it's like we know the balances will come and go over the course of a season all things being equal we think things will converge to a certain point in terms of percentages and so if you are cons- consistently generating good looks unless you just have horrific finishing talent or just are having year from hell where you just keep being unlucky, you will start to score goals. Whereas like if you're scoring, like we talked about the Red Wings, a ton of goals and your whole thing is, well, we're shooting really well. That's not really a thing. Like there's very, very few shooters who can consistently beat the beat the averages. And so that's why we care about it. Now, yeah, as fans, I think we're too like programmed to care about this stuff from the lens of if a team like Nikita Kucherov the other day against Carolina was on the ice for what eight goals that the Lightning scored on ten shots, yeah, there's no like wow he he was so lucky. What a high odd ice shooting percentage like that should never be a thing. It should be this is even seeing that this guy was on the ice for eight goals. This is remarkably efficient. This is a uh this is reflective of his offensive talent, and so the, like that and. How sometimes we call teams like power play merchants because they generate so much on power play as if it's a bad thing. It's like every team in this you league know. would die to be a power play merchant because that is a very easy way to score offense. And that's the best way to punish other teams for being undisciplined.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, there's things that we sometimes say, well, the yeah, but, right. And it's, um, like I wrote about this in Datton for a piece for down in Dallas today about just kind of their teamwork. The stars are just a, They just get outscored in the first period. Every single year, it seems like. This year it's happening again this year. They're like plus twenty-two or something like that in the second period. Like, it's one of those things where obviously you don't want to be Someone someone says, like, oh yeah, like I brought up the You don't want to be bad in the first period, but you also don't it's not like like, ah, well, we'll take being average. Like, no, you still want to be good in the second period, too. Like, it's like it's not like, okay, well, We'll move to media. We'll move from bad to mediocre and good to mediocre. So we just go to mediocre on both ends. Like, no, you're just trying to get rid of the bad and still keep the other thing good.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think we should all strive to be good at everything. Um, Okay, Sean, this is a blast. We got to get out of here. We're we're way out of time. Uh, Everyone, go follow Sean (laughs) and Sean Shapiro. Read his work at Substack and EP Ringside. Uh, You can help us out by smashing that five star button. Go check out the YouTube page for the show where we post some videos of some of the film clubs we do, Hockeypediocast on YouTube, and join the Discord, as we talked about. If you want to get in great questions for future mailbags, like that one that we spent 15 minutes agonizing over about offside reviews, Discord's your way to do it. So just smash the link in the show notes. And that's it for another week of shows here. We'll be back next week with plenty more of the cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.